All right, everybody, welcome back. Best hour of their day. Today, we're going to get back to business, and we're going to talk about how the hell you bring athletes into your affiliate. And I don't mean which door they come in. I mean, how do we integrate them into the facility? Now, Jay and Todd are on the call, obviously, and it's safe to assume that of the three of us, Jay has done this the worst. <laughs> just like everything else. Just like everything, everything else. else. <laughs> everything else. Works. I know. But, I was getting ready. I was like, here comes a good compliment. I was about to say something nice. No, no. You're the only one that compliments yourself on these calls. <laughs> um, Somebody's got to do it. Yeah. So back in the, what, talk to me a little bit about your, since you like to talk about one, some, speaking of this, somebody wrote in and DM'd us and, and, and made a comment about how much you like to refer to yourself as being a former affiliate owner. Multiple, multiple. <laughs> I saw that. Owner. I saw like, that. It isn't. Fuck that guy. <laughs> He's listening. Um, well, no. but the, I think the, the only reason I, I say that often is because I do realize that it's easy to talk about it when you don't have any skin in the game right now. So I don't mean Except to... For the fact that your shirt's not on, so there's plenty of skin in the game today. <laughs> plenty of skin in this game right now. Um, I don't want to speak as so if back... I'm currently owning an affiliate. So that, that's all I'm doing. So I'm sorry for being honest if this listener is upset with uh, me. Oh, you see how that? You see how he spun that on you? That's oh, cool. yeah. Uh, guilt trip, that's what that was. Uh, but Jay, how did you guys... What were the different evolutions of that? Because I think we talked about the other day with um, Caleb about something you guys implemented at, that was at Albany, right? In Albany and then Clifton Park. Okay. Um, we, when we got to the point that we were doing 12 day, we would call them boot camps. So okay. four weeks, three times a week, we had two locations. So we would, we would start them every other week at one location. So even if you were gonna come to Albany, you can go to Clifton Park for your boot camp because they were only about 20 minutes apart, you know, so okay. close enough that it's not that much of a hassle to make it happen for 12 sessions. But that was way down the road. I mean, I think like most, although maybe not for you guys, but for the boxes that opened in like the 06, 07 era, it was just like, hey, welcome to CrossFit. Let's do Fran. Like, I remember when we stopped doing that, it was a buddy of mine from college who had gone on to the military and I was like, we're giving this guy rhabdo as we're speaking. Like, I was like, we are literally giving, like, I got nervous because we were, we were progressively scaling them. It was like the worst. And just as I really started to understand things, I was like, we need to do something else. I think we, we went from that to one day to three to six to ultimately 12. So in that 12 days took, or that 12 sessions took how long over what time period was that 12 sessions? Well, four weeks. It was three a week. I believe so it was Monday, week. Wednesday, Thursday. And we, we had a morning and evening one at both locations. So if you you could do a 6am or I think like, say, you know, 6pm say. So the, I don't want to say the argument, the, the reason that I've heard people are hesitant to that is because that's such a long time to get people integrated. Did you guys ever have issues with that? You know, not really. I mean, and also I think it was because it was at, at the peak of the gyms. So say we had like 200, 300 members, it was all classes were crowded. So it was hard to not get people, you know, we needed people to be up to speed by the time they hopped into class. Mm -hmm. And 
I'll, t- I'll tell you in retrospect, the people that did that became our best and most longstanding members to the point that I still see a lot of them today. Things that you consider, yes, it's a struggle and people want to start right away. So there's that issue, but we would, we would consider them like classes, like a boot camp class, you know, the October class and we would have like the number and they, they became really friendly in that. So I think there are pros and cons to that. And you would run them every four weeks back to back. It was just nonstop. Maybe the longer months, there might've been a, a week break in there, but, but, you know, so day one would start on Albany on say Monday, the first, mm-hmm. and then day one would start on Clifton park on like say Monday, the 15th. So you could have gone to, you could always, you know, there, although it's four weeks, we were always starting a new one every two That was my question. Yeah, yeah. That was my question is if I missed one, would I have to wait four weeks to get one? Yeah, and only two weeks. And like I said, two it, weeks, you know, granted, it was the box you might not be going to long term. It was only 20 minutes away. So even though it, you know, it was 20 minutes, it was only 12 sessions. No now question. What, Go ahead, Todd. What would happen if you missed one of your 12 sessions over the course of those two weeks or whatever? We weren't, we weren't that strict about it. And and the way we had it written out is there was a lot of, you know, repeat and going over movements. So I, I don't know exactly, but say we did a deadlift on you know day two or three, we might cover it again later on day 10 or 11, or at least throw it in the workout. And then every class had a lecture. So, I mean, we basically, if you took that, you were for the most part getting your level one at the same time. There was a ton of information. It was probably in retrospect. Not accurate at all. <laughs> Jay, I saw you even when you started on staff, which was way past that. What you were delivering was not level one content, even at the level ones, bro. So prior to that, there's no chance. Well, they were just getting a lot of information, whether it was good or bad. It was a lot of information. That's a better way to say that than they were yeah. getting a level one. Yeah. Um, would you, for those people, so let's say somebody, let's say somebody came in on the fifth, right? So, so their first, their next best option to start would be the 15th. Cause I know this question comes up too. Are you taking payment that day? I would always do my best to do that. Yeah. The number of times I had to yell at a coach who told me, Oh, they joined. And I was like, Oh, they paid. And they were like, they're no, like, they're no, 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 no. They're going to come back. I'm like, so you got nothing. We have nothing right now. You cost me, you know, $200. I would always, I would, that would be my, probably my biggest pet peeve as a box owner when a coach would tell me that. Well, the issue with that is typically, and, and I've been guilty of this, is we don't teach them how to sell. So they don't know what to do. It's awkward. Fair. It's, so it's ultimately our fault where we're okay with asking because we got the reps in, but then the, the new coach who is just petrified of asking somebody for their credit card number so they can pay for a service that they're going to deliver doesn't know what to do. And they're just like, all right, well, we'll see you next time. <laughs> I'm like, no, that person's probably not coming back now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think a lot of times, at least for me, like I hated selling. So then I pushed it off to my coaches who hated it just as much as I did, you know, and, and we're being forced to do it. So it was, it was worse for them. So you said they did, you did a whiteboard session and a, a training session. What would the, what were the whiteboard cons- uh, sessions consist of? I mean, we would literally do like a, what is CrossFit? We would do a nutrition talk, mm-hmm. you know, a technique versus intensity. We were, the, the people that were coming out of it were really quality members. I mean, I remember the, and, and the coaches would rotate who would lead the boot camp. So there'd be like the head coach. And then it was a great place to have our assistants and interns learn, you know, with, with some of the, with the newer athletes. But I remember the one I ran 
I remember it was October, probably 2012. And like seven of the people I still see going to the box together. Like it creates a really, I mean, it's, you've, you're the only one of us three that have been through boot camp. Like I'm, I can imagine it's similar to that. Like you have your close friends that, that you went through that initiation with. Mm-hmm. The, so how typically how big would those, those boot camps be? Like how many people? They would get pretty large because remember we're, you know, we're consolidating. Every time new people would come in, they'd get pushed into one, one class. So mm-hmm. we, we had some in the 20s. I think that is where the value was, is like creating a, a group so that the group has its own identity before they actually get into the community and have to do and have to assimilate there. That's where I see people. And I think, was it, um, was it Juliet Starrett that wrote an article on this in the journal a long time ago about how to do this? I'm not sure. I, it, I think she it was either have. her. It was either her or somebody else. Or oh uh, no, you know what? I think it was. It might have been Rob Wolf's wife. Wife, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's who it was. Yeah, yeah that's right. And that uh, might have actually been. I remember reading that. Now that might have been where we took part of it. There was. We definitely stole parts of this from different people and then created a little bit of our own. Yeah, yeah, but that was that was one of the the linchpins of that model was creating that let little tiny community and then to and then they and then they break off and then they go into the uh it just creates connection before they ever assimilate into the larger community which is seems to be effective um and they feel much more comfortable going into that because they've got their buddy yeah and they're just familiar with the space they know somebody like all that like it's just it's a better way todd what do you guys do currently anything i think todd for oh there you go um yeah currently so we've got a couple options it, in um, we start everybody with a, a, a free trial class where they come down, sit down typically with me or one of our other coaches. Um, and then based on that, we either recommend that they do some additional like personal training classes or if they're really gung ho and want to um, jump into regular classes, we're all right with that as well. Um, I think we've tried anywhere from one days to I think six days and all that um, of, of on-ramp or fundamental classes and really it's, we've gotten to the point to where it's like, it's based on their comfort level. Cause regardless of whether it's one class or six classes, number one, no one's going to be super um, efficient at all of the moves just by teaching them that for six or 12 classes or whatever it is. And we continue to teach everybody in every single class. You know, we, I think we've talked about the kind of our approach to programming that kind of stuff. And we spend teaching whether you've been for 10 years or you've been with us for one day. So the, our idea with the, the on-ramp is more so around what does that person feel comfortable with? If somebody's ready to jump into group classes, we'll get them in there because, you know, if they're excited and they're confident, they'll jump into class. We, we've got experienced coaches that can take them through um, and keep them safe and moving well and learning how to do the movements and scale appropriately and all that stuff in regular group classes. If they're a little bit more timid or a little bit more out of shape and um, want more time, then we've got that option for them as well. And typically it's two additional classes, but it's kind of depending on their comfort level on how many additional classes we'll do for them. So it's really, Those, uh, that, that one-on-one, is that like a personal training is literally one or they're sorry, not their one-on-one, their free intro is that one-on-one. 
ideally that's one-on-one -on -one unless it's a, unless there's a group of friends that come together. Got it. And, and it's great when a group of friends come together because, because of what you guys just described, but it's not as good because you don't get to know and understand why the person's in there in a group environment. Even if you're in there with your wife or your husband, or we recently had a group of four people that it's two, two couples that are very, very close. When you ask the question of why you're in here, what made you decide to show up or what your goals are, it's very generalized. They don't tell, they don't tell the truth. Ah, I just want to get fit. Ah, I want to work out. I've heard it's good, whatever. Whereas when you're in, in a one-on-one -on -one environment and you ask those questions, more often than not, you're going to be able to get some truth out of it. Hey, I'm looking to lose this amount of weight or, hey, I'm dealing with this issue that I want to, to work on and fix. Um, so... We typically will do it one-on-one, -on -one, but if, if somebody's coming with their significant other or a group of friends, then we'll make that happen in that group setting too. The, so how many, just, and you can swag this and Jay, you can say the same thing or you can answer this too. How many people would you say percentage wise come in? Do you let skip the process and then you're like, all right, yeah, you're good to go to class. At the time, very few okay. people. You know, you know how it is. Oh, I don't need to do this. I did track, you know, in junior year of high school. I don't need to learn how to do a snatch. And it's like, and I would always. I played dodgeball in PE in third grade. I'm good. Yeah. I would immediately dislike that person and then just be like completely passive aggressive. I'm like, all right, we're going to do a handstand pushups. Can you show me those? You know, and then like they come crashing down on their head. But very, very rarely. I mean, look, we were still running a business. So there were the people that, you know, I, I really can't make it at this time or, or, you know, and we would give them some alternatives, some one-on-one -on -one and, and condense it. So it wasn't 12 sessions, but it was when we got to the point that we felt we needed 12 sessions, it was very rare that someone could bypass that. Got it. What about you, Todd? We used to be very stern on like, Hey, we want to show everybody that wants to come to our gym exactly how we do things. We want to, show you how we teach. We want you to, you know, more so see the process and be like, listen, even if you think you've done CrossFit somewhere else, there's stuff for you to learn and we can teach it to you. So let me prove that to you. Um, and that stance has, has changed over time. And now it's like, if, if people have other CrossFit experience more often than not, and they just want to come to our gym and jump into classes, we'll let them bypass the process. Because I, once yeah. again, the way that we go about running a class, we spend time teaching every single movement. So it's not like it was back in the day where it was like, hey, we're doing Diane today. Everybody that can do handstand pushups kick up against the wall. And then the new guy just kicks up there and crashes on his head. It's like we take everybody through the progression and we can look at you. We as in our experienced coaches can look at the person and, and know how to scale them. And even if they come back with the, the conversation of, no, 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 at my old gym, I did this that's where we kind of stand firm on making sure that they're following along with what we want, what we need in, in the class that day. Um, but we know we can do that in class and we don't necessarily feel that we have to do it in that on-ramp setting. Yeah. It's almost, it could be a detriment coming from another box. Like at some point I'd rather have someone with no experience than someone who got oh, coaching yeah. from a bad coach. So I used to, we did the same thing. And what I found was I basically would make an excuse for everybody to bypass the process. And in, and by doing so, 
I would create problems for myself down the road with regard to introducing them to different things within the gym, introducing them to services that we provide and just like foregoing the whole process of like giving them a good experience from start to finish. And we recently went back and started doing it again. And there's the only kind of people that I'll let skip through is if they're coming through with like significant CrossFit experience, like years at another box. Uh, and even then I'll do kind of like a quasi movement assessment and make that determination there. Like if I, if they say, if I say, show me a push jerk and they're like, is that the one where you rebend your legs? I'm like, Pfft. I'm like, this is over. I'm like, we're, we're going to start from square one um, and start them over. But I, I, I switched it because I was thinking about it and I like really analyze it. It wasn't fair to those people to like, I didn't think it was fair to let them skip because I was, I still had something to teach them and like, they're still going to get value of it and I can still provide a good experience. And I was just like, you're not too good to bypass a good experience was the way I think about it now. I'm like, that doesn't even make any sense to me anymore. I'm like, all right. So I switched it. Um, and, but I think what both of you have already said is like the people that go through that, regardless of their prior experience, like always have better retention, longer length of engagement, like all of those things. Um, and the people that are like good enough or too good for that typically aren't going to stay anyway. You know, I had a guy recently reach out <clears throat> the other day on Facebook for messenger or something like that. And he was like, you know, I just want to know if you guys are open, you know, I follow a competitors program. And I like in the message, I was like, this is probably not the gym for you. I'm like, I'm happy oh, yeah. to sit down with you. I'm happy to sit down with you and show you around and give you a tour and, and walk you through some things. But I'm like, if that's what you're looking for, I'll recommend other gyms because this is, this is probably not the place for you. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you on the sense that it's like when people jump in there, are, you definitely have the, the follow up and the work through to, to, to show them what else you guys offer and to, to make sure they're aware of all that stuff um, definitely has to be as are more deliberate and you have to make sure that that stuff, that, that stuff happens. But um, like I said, we're, we're confident in the, the experience provided in the class as far as movement goes. So I don't expect, to be honest with you, I don't expect it, anybody that walks through my door to know the difference between many of the movements just in general. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. I, always, I always give the example of like, my mom's been doing CrossFit since 2009. There's not many people out there have been doing CrossFit since 2009, going two to three days a week. She still comes to the gym. She goes to a class that I don't coach typically. And I'll talk to her later in the day and be like, Hey mom, how was class this morning? She'll be like, Oh man, it was so hard. And I'll ask her what she did, knowing what the programming is. And she'll be like, Oh man, we did that thing where you, where you take the ball and you squat and throw it against the wall. And then, then you get to the bar and you take it from the ground to your shoulders. And I'm like, she's been doing CrossFit for almost 12 years now. And she can't remember what a wall ball shot is and a power clean is. And I'm like, that's most of our members. So I don't expect anybody to like walk in and for me to challenge them to show me a squat snatch or a push jerk and for them to know how to do it right because i'm going to teach them that every time they walk in the door anyways um so then but yeah so i agree with you so then this begs the question which is why i revamped mine this is my personal just kind of why i did it so then i we can agree that like i don't care what what your number of sessions looks like it's not enough like i, I don't care right. how long it is it's not adequate to teach people like the stuff um so then, but then it does beg the question is like, what should an on-ramp slash foundation slash intro 
B4? Like that's, I, I think, the fundamental question. Well, that's, and that's what I asked myself. And mine was, what does it take for this person to feel confident showing up and walking inside the walls of my, my gym, walking into class? What does it take for that person to feel, feel comfortable and confident? That's step number one. Number two, how can I introduce this person into not only our community, but also the services that we have to offer? So those are the two main things that I think of. And so that's kind of where I got to with the point of like, if this person is confident and comfortable to come into class, that's the scariest part for 99% of our members. And so it's like, if you are really that anxious to get into class, sweet, let's, let's get you in there. Cause I know I'll take care of you once you're in class. So all my coaches like that, none of that ever concerns me. It's just, can I create an environment to where you feel comfortable enough to show and show up in the class? Because most people are so nervous and intimidated because I've also had the opposite where it's like, I've taken through somebody through like a 10 session on ramp and they are still terrified of walking in the door and getting into class and they come to one or two and they're still afraid of it. So that, so that, so then it brings up a following question is what, what is it that makes somebody confident to come into a class? I think that's, it's very individualized. It's very, that's, that's why I'm asking. Right. And, and, yeah. and what I've, what I've have come to realize and this is my personal experience. And I'd like to see what you guys think is that it has nothing to do with understanding the movements. No, that's yeah. Well, it, it, I would say it doesn't until they're in class and depending on your coaching, I think the reason Todd feels that way is because he's a good coach and he knows his coaching staff is, but there are plenty Absolutely. of boxes that have their owners might be a decent coach, but they know their coaching staff is not as good as them. hundred percent, but there's still, there's still a gap there. Right. So like, yes, Todd knows that, but that person doesn't know that. Like they don't know Todd from, from you, Jay. And we both know but that it's there's also, a big gap between your coaching and his coaching. Todd's confidence will transfer a little bit to the athlete. Well, the, like the other thing, you, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, the other thing that comes along with that is, can you give them a workout that they can do that challenges them, but does not crush them? Like, and so it's kind of two different things with somebody that's done CrossFit before. They know what they're getting into, get them into class, teach them some stuff, make sure you scaled appropriately and let them get a feel for your community. Somebody brand new, even if that brand new person wants to come into a regular class, do you have the competency to scale them appropriately, let them still be part of the entire class, but give them the number of reps and the amount of work necessary for them to feel like they did what everybody else did, but they can also do it, right? It's the self-efficacy part of this thing is like, hey, every, most people that, that want to try CrossFit, want to come to your gym are terrified of that. And so once they've made the commitment to walk through the door for the first time, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one intro, whether it's a group intro, whether it's a group class, you better give them a workout that makes them feel the challenge of the workout, but more importantly, makes them feel like this is definitely something that they can do. That's, that's my opinion on that, that side of things. I, think yeah, and I, don't, I don't necessarily think there's a right or wrong, but I want to hear what you have to say, Jay. No, I was going to say, you know, all we've talked about so far is my 12 day one. But when I opened my third box, 
we went back to the model of <laughs> there was there was that was subtle everybody oh, were you, a, subtle. Are you do you still own a box or are you a former affiliate i'm still an affiliate but i don't own a box right now um oh, okay. but what, what affiliate do you say? own currently what was your affiliate name crossfit soul shine okay like if it's still under my name i still have the affiliate maybe i'll open it right now in my kitchen don't don't threaten me but we went back to the model of you come in and you start working out with us so no on-ramp no nothing but the model was different the model was it was either only me or my partner at the time coaching 100 percent of the classes and i fully trusted in him i trusted in myself obviously class sizes were at a max 12 and we were hitting one piece of we were following crossfit.com yeah so you know a little bit behind so i knew what to expect but it was you know if you part of this goes to the boxes that are doing too much it's very hard to to do that if you have two three pieces in a class and it's just one after another but if i know I them, think that would be almost impossible to have somebody yeah. have even a remotely decent oh. experience if you're doing strength plus metcon and just dump somebody into a class yeah no but yeah. if you're doing even a triplet that's a 20 minute amrap with two complex movements say say you're doing muscle up snatch and burpee you know in your triplet for 20 minutes you know i need to be good enough to know okay you're going to snatch really light but you're still going to snatch today and for a muscle up you're going to do you know whether it's pull-ups and dips or transitions but i have the 40 minutes in that class to get them there and i would just pick the one movement that i need them to focus on so today it's going to be you're going to snatch an empty bar muscle ups for you are going to be push-ups and so, that way they're learning yeah. along the way yeah so and this is something I, I i don't know maybe a couple months ago i started asking myself like quite a bit which is okay yes i'm good enough to do that but does that mean it's the best experience for them to come in to do it that way and then the other question is let's just say let's assume that like you know let's assume that right now jay you did on a box and todd you know you obviously are on your and let's assume you're the best coach and let's say that you're confident in yours but it's also let's be realistic like not everybody is like on uh the same rung of the ladder let's assume that like your coaches are one to two rungs below you but definitely not like at a zero let's say that you're a, a nine and a half that means that they're a seven um and then they go into that person's class and that like minor deviation that probably only we would notice from a, from viewing it from a coach's eye could potentially lead to a less than ideal experience. And so I'm just talking out loud about like the way I look at it now. It's like, just because I can do that doesn't mean that, that I necessarily should for their sake, not because I'm not worried about them doing, uh, not because not I'm not worried about something bad happening, but I'm like, is this the best possible introduction and experience I can provide to them if I put them in the class? And I'm like, on my best day, it's, it's, it's gonna be good, but is that good enough? And I guess that's why I look at it from a, from a business standpoint, not a training. And I guess that's why I, the why I think this topic is interesting right now is not from a training standpoint, from a business standpoint and purely a customer service standpoint. What, how would you view it? Um, you know, one thing that I started to do when I had a bunch of coaches under me, you know, I, I always used to have the mindset of like, Okay, well, that coach can coach um, a six-person class only, so they're on for the three thirty. They can, they're not ready for a six thirty, and yeah. then, but then I got to the point, you know, you need subs and people hopping around, and I was like, no, 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 
if you can't coach the busiest class, you can't coach at all. And I think the same has to be, you know, kind of answering your question. The, 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 the answer would be, unless I felt like you're going to give them that experience that you're talking about, you're not ready to coach yet. Okay. So well, they might fair. not be as good as you or Todd or myself, but they're still good enough. Like look at, you know, Cassidy. Cassidy's a great example. He's on your mm -hmm. staff. You've been coaching a lot longer. Like as good as he is, he's on the CrossFit seminar staff. He's probably a little bit below you, but you're still more than confident in everything he does at the box. Yeah, I know. I'm definitely not worried about what the, what he's going to do there. And again, that's, that's kind of the, and I don't even know if what I'm saying is making sense, but I think they're different. It's, right? it's so, all about, it's all, it's all, it's all client experience. Right. And, yeah. and I completely agree with you is that you've got to make, you've got to make that the best experience possible, no matter what. And I think that should be the root of, of an affiliate owner's decision on how they onboard people is what can you, how can you provide the best experience um, for that person? And there's so many other factors that go into this. I mean, Jay made, made mention before that at his last affiliate, he was the only one on the floor for that day. So like you think about that kind of stuff, if he's got coach, if he's got classes that he's coaching, say at four five and six, and you've got somebody that's brand new that wants to sign up and you're like, well, I need a 12 week intro. And they're like, well, cool. I can only be available at five o'clock or 12 yeah. session intro. It's like, well, that's impossible for my personal scenario. So how do I do it? Well, I bring you into a class that has no more than 12 people and I coach the hell out of you. Right. Um, and there better be some follow-up after class to check in. There better be some information on, hey, we also offer nutrition or personal training at these other different times, or we can do this other stuff. Because I think ultimately there's no perfect, you know, number of sessions and there's no, no. no right way to do it or wrong way to do it as long as you are considering what is the experience that that client is getting and are you putting your best foot forward? I remember early on in some of this stuff when I saw gyms in like 2009 through maybe even like 12 or 13 to where it's like the affiliate owner would open the gym and then they would hope to find somebody else to become a coach. That coach would go get their level one and then they're like, your role is the intros and the on-ramps. And I'm like, <laughs> that is the worst thing you could do. You're taking your worst coach and giving it to your most important person at that point, which is somebody who wants to see what that experience is like. Now, I'm not saying that your current members aren't important, but I always had the, the, the mindset that like, once I've got my hands on these athletes, they're going to move well enough to where even if I put them with a less experienced coach, they're still going to be fine. That's why still to this day, 95% of the time, I handle all of the new athletes coming through the door if they are doing like a intro or on-ramp or fundamentals or whatever you want to call it because I still know and am confident like that I provide the best experience in that scenario and I enjoy you know, getting my hands on people, for lack of a better term, um, and getting to know them before they jump into our regular group classes. So yeah, is, I think is uh, that predominant amount of your coaching is intros. Do you do far less classes now? It depends. I still do a decent number of classes, but so, so the number of intros is going to dictate how, how much of that, that I do. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, okay. I, I try to have enough freedom in my schedule to where I'm still primarily doing that. And that's kind of the way it's been since the beginning for me. Got you, in your, your, I was gonna say intros are a great place to develop coaches, but not a good place to 
stick your your newer coaches. Yeah, I'll say that too. They're great to be like, watch me coach this one person, and then maybe give them an opportunity to. It's it's like the level two where it's like teach back, right? Just coach one. Kind of. I I even kind of dis. I kind of disagree though, because we've all seen that not go well and that's definitely not how i want that to go down they don't earn the right to coach that person on day one but i think it's a great place to develop a coach but you're absolutely right it's not a great place to to stick your you know greenest your newest coach now i i will say this i like one of the main reasons i was able to develop to prepare me to, to coach seminars is because i coached on ramps from my beginning of coaching and I, I taught them the same way we did it at level ones um, using the progressions and all of that. But I will say that you can mask somebody who maybe isn't as experienced as a, as a coach in that intro or on ramp setting. If you know that their presence and attitude and therefore the, the um, experience that they're going to provide is going to be really good. So if you got somebody that has a great presence and attitude, they're good at selling and all that stuff. Well, then maybe that is the right role for that person, even yeah. if they're not the world's best coach. Um, because because as, they're, a, they're, a, they're a good salesperson is what they are, so, just by the nature of their, their personality. Yeah, exactly. Because they, they make people feel so welcoming and uh, welcomed and all that stuff. So it's like you mentioned it earlier is the athletes aren't going to know who's good coaches and who aren't, especially if this is their first exposure to CrossFit. But you sure as heck better have a coach that's making them feel really, really comfortable and feel safe and giving them an opportunity to do a workout that makes it feel like they can actually achieve this and do this. And they're going to be able to fit in. The best coach for new people is always the nicest person on your staff. They're like, that is, they are the best coach. And I'm like, they're like the worst, but I know why you think they're the best because they're so nice. (laughs) Right. But sometimes that's what it takes, you know, to, most of the time that's what it takes to make people feel comfortable and and like todd said back in the beginning confident i i do agree with you todd and i I think we've talked about this a little bit before where i would agree with you there is a certain level of practicality that has to be applied to this based on like what you can physically do and accommodate as a business like and so we've done it everywhere. I've done it something similar to what jay's done where we did like three weeks i've done three sessions i've done private training I've done nothing and most of that was dictated by what the business could sustain at the time so yeah would you guys would you if you guys were running any of that have you got well let me ask it a little bit more directly this is to Todd have you changed any of that due to like COVID stuff or if you were in a different area because I know Florida's but like they don't give a shit but if you were somewhere else, would you change your protocol for that? Like if you were doing those groups, would you switch to one-on-one? I I think just based on all, like doing it every different way, I think the one-on-one environment, there's good and bad of both of it. Like I mentioned before, the one-on-one allows you to truly understand why that person's there, make a connection. And then you can, then you can offer them a solution that meets the goals that they truly have in mind, whether that's more personal training, whether that's additional services that you offer. They do miss out on the group class session of this thing. Um, but I, I, I would say for somebody brand new coming into the gym, at least starting your first session as a one-on-one um, has, has, has been, the, been, been the most beneficial for me. 
Yeah, I was just curious. I know, uh, like, as businesses are reopening, I know a lot of them, some of them are revamping it. Like, we revamped ours during that time frame, and I'm super happy with it. I don't, I'm, I'm probably more happy with what we've revised it to than I've ever been. I just feel like it's, a, it's like a totally different experience because it was time. You know, it was just like, all right, well, it's because we're at, and, and we're in a different place as a business. I just hadn't had a time to sit down and like rearrange it. Um, but I, it's just, it's an interesting topic because there's, there's so many different variants of it out there between affiliates and it's, and I'm trying to figure out like, what's, what's that common, what is the common variable across all of the ones that do it well? And if you could figure out how to peg that and then how every, everything else after that is built on top of that one variable. But I think it's that one variable is like something that would fall in the customer service bucket, not with the, I'm a great coach bucket. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think the two, the two major things you have to consider are the, I, I like what Todd said about, are the people confident entering class? Are you confident with your coaches in that class, depending on how long they took to get there? And then the third piece would just be, your programming, because like we said, if your program, you need to have a, at least 20 minutes per hour where there's coaching happening. Cause even if someone did a 12, let's, you know, even if someone did my 12 day boot camp, they may have learned the front squat on day two and we probably touched on it, but it may have been a month until they see it again. Right. Or, or, you know, a more complex movement like a thruster or, you know, a, a snatch. So, it, it, they need to, we, you still need to have that time in every class to teach and correct. Yeah. And, and I, and I always, I always make a point to tell people too, as they go through however many sessions it is with us. I'm I always make a point to say, Hey, listen, you're learning a lot of stuff. I don't expect you to remember any of this. All I want is a reference point. So that way, when you come back, and maybe it's three weeks from now and we have push jerks in class for the first class that you've made it to with them there. I don't expect you to look at the board and go push jerks. I know exactly what that is, but I do expect for when we start going through the progression and I tell you, I don't want you to jump and squeeze your legs and land that you're like, Oh yeah, yeah. I remember doing this. I remember when Todd said to, to flex my quads, what he meant. And I remember how to do that. So as long as they have a reference point, from those classes, that's what I want them to take away from it. No one's going to be an expert on any of these things after X number of sessions. Shoot, Jay, you've been doing this for how long and you're not an expert on anything. I'm terrible at it. I'm a terrible mover, bro. I'm getting better. You should see. I, I, I have serious doubts. You're gotten, really good. Uh, yeah, I have serious doubts <laughs> that you've gotten better since COVID. I would imagine your hip flexors are even shorter than they were before. So um, spending so much time on that bike. I'm hanging every day. I'm squatting every day. It's good. It's good stuff over here. But I, I you know, I think really there's no right or wrong. No. Every box is a little bit different. And yeah, and, that, and that's a good point. It's you know, and, and also, you know, as far as those references go if you're listening and you're deciding which avenue you should take, especially like Fern said with reopening and, and all of that, use references that are online. You know, that was something we did. We had a whole, you know, you know, you, you go take your level one, you get the man, the manual. Well, we had a manual and it was all stuff we stole from other boxes. And then from the journal, you should be, you know, here's, you know, if you're doing a 12 day one, Next Monday, we're covering the push jerk. Here's an article. Here's a good video. Watch those, bookmark them, save them, let them know that, you know, when you start taking class, you can look at the workouts in advance, 
remind yourself what they look like. So, you know, the onus has to also be on these athletes too. In, oh, meaning you're going to send them that information prior to. Right. But now it's their responsibility when they do start going to class (laughs) to look on, you know, wherever you post your workouts, whatever platform or social media, but then say, Hey, you need to come into class with an idea of, you know, what the push jerk is. You'll, you know, here's that video you should watch and, and have an idea of how you might scale it, the weight you might need. You know, CrossFit is a proactive sport. You need to, the, the athletes, the members need to be proactive as well. I guess I kind of disagree. I, I would, I would go, I'm, I'll probably a little bit more in Todd's camp. And I don't even think that's actually how you're saying. And I think I know where you're going with it, but I, go the opposite I go the exact same route as Todd and I say I don't expect you to know anything ever and that's how I teach every single class and that's how the coaching staff teaches it too I just don't want them to I I don't want them to worry about it or care like I want them to worry about and just have a fun when they come in not study the push jerk and and you could treat people as if they know nothing probably a smart and accurate move but but there's a reason the three of us eventually made it onto staff and it's probably because when we started CrossFit we would see a workout and we would look stuff up and we would research and we would have people look at our form. So yes, it's going to be different for every member at your box. The ones that really treat this, you know, as, as their passion and hobby, you're going to pay a little more attention, but you know, you're, you're always going to have those members that have been there for seven years and walk in and they're like, what's a thruster again? Have we done that before? You know, you're always, that's it. The yeah, snatches the snatches the one to the shoulder or to overhead. <laughs> and I'm like, you can't ask that anymore. You've been here. That's, I've never I, done that. I, I've never done I, that. I, I love the fact that people don't care. Like it's like because I because <laughs> I, I care too. enough about CrossFit for everybody. You know what I mean? But it's also that goes back to what you and I have spoken about numerous times, Todd. Where it's like even people that don't care, don't do research, have no idea what a thruster is, still get really fit. They're gonna get really fit, 100%. and they're gonna. Yeah, like, like for instance, they're going to love what we do because we're going to teach them that every single time. And it's like most of us are using CrossFit as a means to an end, right? It's to, you know, whether it's your ability, your, your, your um, vehicle to lose weight or to gain muscle or here in Florida so you can surf a little bit better or you can go on your hiking trips or just anymore to where you've got a group of people to hang out with. It's like, those are the reason people are in here. When I find that people get too concerned with their workouts and more importantly, their scores and all the rest of that, that's when mm. we got an issue. Like yeah, when you're, this you're missing out on all the good shit. Yeah. It's like, dude, we've, it, the more your workouts mean to you, the less you're getting from CrossFit in my opinion, because it's like, th- this is, the workouts are great, but they're the smallest, the least amount of thing you're going to get from this, from this program. So I, I, I don't agree want people with you. to that's why I think, too much. I think that's why I've, for whatever reason, grab it, not for whatever reason, but I think that's the reason I've really gravitated towards like when I do our foundations with the, with the new folks, I don't know how many times I say as we're going through the whiteboard session or whatever, uh, or the training or warm up that I don't care how fast they move, take as many breaks as they want, go get water. I don't even care if you go to the bathroom because oh, yeah. I don't, I don't want them to get trapped by the intensity piece. Right. Cause like it, it is, it's it... a trap door. It is a trap door that they will fall through every time unless you beat them over the head with the fact that you don't care how fast they move. No, exactly. One of, and that it, we've talked about this numerous times before, but it goes back to the culture in your gym and it, it's the same thing 
when new people come into the gym and they jump into class and this even happens for, you know, I think this is one of the reasons why we feel okay letting somebody either in their first or second time in the gym, jump in a regular class is that whenever somebody comes into class, 90% of the people in there are going to have a scaled quote unquote scaled version of the workout. So they're going to watch the coach go around to every single person and go, Hey, you're doing 10 of these reps. You're doing it at 65 pounds. You're doing seven of these reps. And they're going to be like, oh, okay. So yeah, he told me to do five instead of seven, but everybody got something different than what's on the board. So I guess it's no big deal. I am just as worthy and, you know, just as much of a part of this as everybody else. So um, that's just kind of the approach that, that we take in the gym. No, I think it's good. I think the big takeaway is it should be based on experience, not necessarily teaching because like Jay, you mentioned before, if you give a good experience, even with the worst teaching, because people are probably going to stick around and you're going to have lifelong members, which we could agree is probably what happened at your gym. Poor teaching. They like you. They stuck around. You know, like Nicole Carroll Hard said, way, way back on my level two. People, you are a dog shit coach, but, but people like being around you. There you same, go. same reason you guys are on here. <laughs> I question that every time I get on a phone call with you, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, why? Does it make you question it more when I show up with no shirt on and a yes, little dog that, and, a, and a dog yeah. on your lap? And a dog, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I think now's a good time for people to at least just rethink it, maybe go through it with a fine tooth comb and and potentially revamp it. Uh, and the beauty of it is, like, you know, going back to our previous conversation, it's not a franchise, so you can change this thing as many times as you want to to find out what works for you. And uh, I think that's super important because that's that's how you get people to stay is give them that experience. So, you know, if you guys have different stuff that you do in your gyms that is worth uh, worth talking about, like I think it'd be cool to maybe have some people come on the podcast and talk about it because that people are always like looking for different ideas and ways to do that. So you guys got anything else? No, I think you just summed it up well. Cool. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Even though somebody told us that Jay should stop saying that with a, at the end of all the podcasts. <laughs> Isn't that the same guy that complained about me? Probably the same guy that was like, stop talking about your previous ownership you of affiliates. <laughs> Both of those people should, you know what? Stop listening to the show. Find another show that provides as much information for free as best hour of their day. Subscribe to that. Wow. You guys go got to him. I'm just going to say it right I know. now. We can see it. Look that, at we how struck a chord. We struck a chord. Wow. That's hard to do on Jason Ackerman, but we struck a chord. Probably didn't leave us a review either. Probably didn't leave us a review on iTunes either. If they did, it was all about me and it was good. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. If you haven't already, do us a favor head over to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback for either Fern or myself, hit us up, day at gmail.com or send us a DM over on Instagram at day. Once again, we couldn't do this without the amazing community and you are a part of it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting Best Hour of Their Day.